My special guest on this inaugural podcast episode is John Hastings. For those of you that don't know, John Hastings was born in Ottawa, Canada, and is a dyspraxic comedian, writer, podcaster, and actor with 14 years transatlantic touring experience. He most recently received worldwide acclaim, having appeared on America's Got Talent prior to the pandemic lockdown. Wow, in the judges, that just happened to include Simon Cowell in front of an empty studio, empty studio audience. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you taking part today. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? It's very nice to be here. It's very interesting how saying dyspraxic on television has really sort of... Uh, it's caught the attention of everyone else. It's sort of one of those things where, every, like, everyone who is aware of what it is kind of immediately just went, uh, oh, someone else. Like, I thought I was the only one. Because we get no goddamn play in the media. Those dyslexics steal all our thunder, I tell you. <laughs> We're not the poor relation, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's also because I think it's one of those things where it's such a wide spectrum of a... Uh, an issue you can have like you know it focuses sometimes more on eye hand coordination and it's also like I don't necessarily understand all of what encompasses it depending on who you talk to like certain things mean you do have it certain things mean you don't have it like it's just one of those things where in the end it's just like yeah it's just a very funny one that it's it's good you're doing a podcast to sort of give I think especially what I've noticed from the email I've gotten after my appearance on the AGT is the amount of parents that have sort of reached out to just be like Hey, thanks for saying this on TV. My kid has this. It's just nice to know that I can say to them, hey, he's on television and he has dyspraxia, so it's not a big deal. So it's just one of those, that's been sort of the nice perk of it all yeah, for me. Definitely. It's like now when um, a parent of a kid with dyspraxia um, sees their kid struggling, they can go, well, um, look at so-and-so on America's Got Talent. Or, or yeah. It's, it's, they've all got dyspraxia. Look what they're doing. Yeah, it's also one of those things where it's like, don't worry, sports are not important. And the reason why all of those people are being mean about it is because that's all they have in their life. And that old coach will die alone. So don't worry about it. I think that's the other thing you really want to hit home quickly. It's, yeah, that person sucks. So you don't want to be associated with them. No, no, no. They'll be nowhere in 20 years' time. And uh, that Heck will, yeah. And that can go on to be a banker in the city. You never know, do you? So. Exactly. Yeah, you don't need you don't need to be quick on the draw to be a banker. You just need a, a Bluetooth headset. Buy, sell, sell, buy, 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 sell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a bit like um, <laughs> Wall Street. Movie. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You just like Matthew McConaughey, baby. He, he doesn't need to know how to uh, kick a ball. No, no. But look at him. <laughs> yeah, certainly not. Definitely. So, um, if you could, John. Uh, yes, please- sir. Please, would you mind telling us about your upbringing in Canada and uh, your childhood? Sure. Along with how it came about that you had dyspraxia, please. I was born three months premature, uh, so it was definitely, it came from, I just didn't have, my eye-hand coordination didn't have the time to develop in the womb, so that was, I have been led to believe is sort of the root cause of it, was just being born three months premature certain things didn't develop and that's been the root cause of how I acquired um, uh, uh, lack of reflex, lack of eye-hand coordination and stuff like that. So um, that's where it came from. Childhood, very sort of typical suburban Canadian, North American childhood. Um, Dyspraxia uh, in particular, it wasn't ever identified as dyspraxia as a kid. It was literally just told to me as lack of eye-hand coordination 
um, due to being premature. And that was identified when I was about seven um, by a teacher named Bonnie Dagenet. My mom immediately got me support and got me therapy, which mechanisms that have carried me forward. Um, and it's one of those things now where I don't think people necessarily believe me that I'm, uh, I was a, such a spaz because I don't know if you've had this is that since you work on something like this and you learn coping mechanisms, I am able to catch a ball now. It just, for example, for America's Got Talent, they're like, we want to like throw a ball to you and show that you can't catch. And I'm like, but I can, I'm not six now. Like I, I, I learned how to do it. I'm like, it's not graceful, but I, 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 I figured out of kind of how to do it. As long as you're not lobbing at me, I'll, I'm, underhand I'm gonna be okay and they kind of I could see on their faces they were like wait like what and I was like it's not like this was identified when I was a kid and then I just was like well no help will be given nothing will be done it's one of those ones where I was like I've learned how to do it I was like if you go get a billiard a pool table I'll show you that I don't I'm then then all bets are off pool pool and darts you could definitely be like what is he doing exercise classes getting like you know I don't know about you, but like left and right, I couldn't figure that out until I was 30. Like, like 29 and 30 was a big watershed year. I finally was able to tie my shoes properly without just putting them in knots. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I finally got left and right. Like, it, and people thought I was, like, I don't know if you have this where people kind of think you're making it up because it's not like it's anything visible. You're just like, I don't know left and right. Like, I can't. I actually don't know if that's anything to do with this practice or anything, or I'm just a spaz, but it was one of those ones where it's like, I couldn't spatially be aware of which one was which. So I'd always have to like, if I was driving, I'd have to put something yeah. on the left hand. So I'm like, it's that one. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, um, you've got to try and attribute something to make it left and right to differentiate the difference. Um, and also the fact that when you're driving as well, I guess you've got to kind of have something in the car that, you know, shouts out, this is left, this is right, stick with it, don't change. It was, it was very funny. I was seeing a girl and I was driving, this is years ago, and she had just seen, I had some material about having no reflexes, all this stuff, and I was driving, and she was like, is this dangerous for you to be driving? And I was like, again, no. I've, like, I can do it. They, I still have to pass a driving test. It's not like I showed them a certificate and they were like, ah, well, he's, his brain isn't connected to his hands. Let's give him a, a, a two-ton automobile and let him kill some people. Like, it's one of those ones where there's a lot of, like, they hear the buzzwords around it, and then they immediately go, like, oh, you might, like, and it's like, no, no, it's 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 much more subtle and a lot more anxiety-inducing as opposed to um, actually, like, oh, I can't do something. It's more like I can get, I now at this point, and I, again, don't know about you, I won't speak for you, but, like, now it much more manifests itself in, being incredibly overwhelmed of you're doing a bunch of things and it's just your mind is working that extra level because your mind doesn't have that sort of like it has to go like move hand hand type and like you get to that like level of fatigue yeah. and having to explain to people it's like no this is a thing and there's nothing I can do like I just need to close my eyes for a second or and this move very helpful I don't know if that's a thing that I share with all my brothers and sisters of the I would say that's something I do as well, but my arm behind my back to sort of remember that's the body part that I'm using as my left, and that's my right. <laughs> oh, 
okay, so it's a different type of coping mechanism, but still a coping mechanism nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. So did, did you find that, um, obviously, you being a comedian, that um, sort of in your like teens and going into adulthood, that people thought you was winding them up rather than being honest about dyspraxia? Like, did they think you were making it up? But, it was one of those things where the word and the, the term and all that sort of stuff, I didn't even hear until I moved to the UK. And I like the first time I really heard it and understood what it was, was 2014. Sure. Like I, it was one of those things where it, and there's been an amazing push through charities and organizations to get awareness out there. But before then it was just like, you're a, you're a, you're a bit touched, mate. Like that's the, and, and, and people think I'm kind of pulling their leg, but there was no blanket term. It was just like, as I understood it until speaking to people and writing, it was writing a material about being premature and describing what had come from it. People went, oh, the, that's dyspraxia. You have this. And I was like, there's a, there's a whole thing to this? Because I just thought I was like, I was just the only one because it was that random roulette of being born premature here were the side effects as opposed to, no, there's a whole blanket thing yeah. of this is what is caused by that and um, stuff like that. Like I was talking to a great comedian in the UK named Don Biswas, yeah. who also has dyspraxia. And he kind of like, it was this sort of weird moment where he, I was doing a joke about it and he kind of looked at me like, you have it too. Like sort of that secret club thing it was very exciting yeah it's, it's it's a thing when you find out someone else has got it as well and you don't feel so um strange anymore yeah well, in 2015 i did a show about it of just being born premature and being a spaz and all that sort of stuff and the amount of people that came out after the show and were like me like i have that like and people like one guy i saw went and ended up getting diagnosed because he was like this is a thing i just didn't think it, like like yeah and also, just as a sidebar, by the way, if you're one of those people that are like, oh, learning disabilities and all that sort of stuff, it's making people weak. It just comes from they're not very smart. It's like, please, just take a long walk off a short pier. You're an asshole, and you're holding our society back. People's brains are incredibly complicated, and some of them are composed differently. Yeah. Just let people learn a coping mechanism so we can all move forward. Because in the end, that is the main, I, for me at least, is that's the main solution. It's just learning how to cope with the weird wiring of your brain. And you'll get to the point, at least in my case, I can't speak for anyone else, where you don't necessarily realize it until you're playing pool or darts or someone wants to teach you the Macarena. Yeah, that, that is one difficult dance move, to say the least. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, it's an absolute nightmare, man. Oh, yeah. I hate going to parties and, and, um, and dance, dances. It's just, like, yeah. It's also it's also the problem with the UK is that everyone has a couple of ciders and all gets very suddenly it's just you know everyone's um, Martha kid and just wants to organize a dance off and it's just like just can we just act like it's the afternoon and just sit down and have a conversation? You smell like bad bread. I don't want to dance with you. <laughs> and there's always sticky darts floors as well. They never, they never clean it. Oh, it's always sticky. Certainly true, mate. Oh, especially because I don't know what part of the UK you are broadcasting from, but especially if you get outside of London, there's dance floors that are, it's like tar. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I'm literally just outside of London, um, down in, in Kent. So about 30. Ah, uh, yes. 
about 45 minutes by car and train and about 30 miles out of London. But, uh, Wait a minute, do you, you go down in Kent or are you up in Kent? Because I thought you'd be down in Essex, up in Kent, just geographically of where, because isn't Kent there, London's here, Essex there? I'd say um, Kent is more southeast, um, Essex is more, um, so we're like down, yeah. uh, to the right, and London's right there. Oh! So we're sort of like, it's, it's really um, strange because we've got a town um called Sheerness and literally there's a cross here well um it's like a, a, a river and it's literally that far away from Essex but it, there's no connection mm. they're literally very close but actually on the map they're not what's the fascinating thing about and this is totally off topic but the Essex Kent not even rivalry but more of just sort of the mutual disdain society for each other but at the same time, it's also like, well, at least we're not living in London. That's the funny thing where it's like, yeah, we live. And it's also like, you guys have space and you get to be in the woods. And you're it, like, the craziest thing, especially with Essex and Kent is there's some towns where it's like, you can get into London faster than I could when I lived in London. Like you could be in the center of London before I could be, and yeah. you don't live there. Oh, it's madness. I know, it's crazy, it's crazy. You literally step out your door in London, I suppose you're like in a jam, walking up, walking onto the pavement, let alone mm -hmm. a car or train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you guys have the sea, oh, it's an absolute nightmare, but yeah. Definitely. So, um, at what age would you say that dyspraxia started to impact you? And would you, would you say that your hidden disability was perhaps brought on by the, uh, from a premature birth? Um, I've, I've been, I've, I've, I assume that that's what brought it on because I've heard and been told nothing different. So that's what I, I assume it was. Like, unfortunately, um, I wish I was a doctor, but I've done none of the school that would require that. So that's as far as I can sort of speak to that. And then any of the sort of information that I've been told about it, that's where it, they sort of say it stems from. Again, I, I assume, I don't remember getting knocked on the head at two and then waking up and being unable to catch a Frisbee. Yeah. Um, I don't have any sort of memory of it ever really. It was very, I was, my mom did me a huge service of it was never framed as a disability. It was always framed as a, hey, this is just something we got to figure out. Don't worry about it. So I don't, it definitely affected my life. I, I, I was put in football at four and the coach was really pissed off at my lack of ability to play. And my mom just pulled me out and was just like, he's four. Yeah, who cares if you can't kick a ball, you loser. Yeah. So, like, that's sort of the first awareness I know of it where it affected my life. But in the same way, it didn't actually affect my life. I'm fine that I didn't play football at four. Luckily, football is one of those sports you can pick up pretty easily. Don't touch the ball with your hands and try and kick it towards the big hole. Yeah. Oh. I, I take it you're referring to American football, not soccer. No, no, I'm I'm referring to soccer. I yeah, oh, no, I know, yeah, yeah, no, I know how to make the 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 sweet adjustment. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna po everyone over there in the UK by calling it soccer because man, do you guys really not enjoy that? Although it does enjoy it, I do enjoy it when you say soccer and they'll have to begrudgingly be like, we know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I um. It's fascinating, you know, to see like the the way your mum took the approach to to dyspraxia, um, and that you don't 
you haven't really, you're not a doctor, I'm not a doctor. Well, uh, and what's, the thing with these even crazy is this was before, like, she didn't know that there wasn't a name ever given to it when I was a kid. Like there were, this was, I assume that there, it had a name and there was someone within the medical community calling it that. But my symptoms sort of hadn't been placed either under the umbrella or they just hadn't got around to it yet. So it's one of those things where it, and part of it is also just awareness for any sort of learning disability or disability in general has improved, especially in the last 20 to 30 years. So it's also that interesting thing of there was a huge amount of support, but also like a huge amount of support from people. And they didn't really, they weren't aware that there was an ability to gain community and all that sort of stuff from it. It was just like you, I, not that I thought I was the only one, but it's sort of like, it was just sort of, again, put under that blanket of you're premature. So this is what happens when you come out of the oven early, kid. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, there's a lot of people though that, would say from a dyspraxia background would say that it's caused by different things. No one's got the exact science yet. Oh yeah, no, I and I don't think that they will necessarily because I think it's probably just there's just there's probably like twenty factors and then you'll get that outcome. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because there's a, a lot of people that also will accompany other things. Like it'll be dyspraxia but with something else. So it's is that is one causing the other is that just symptoms of the a more major situation stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I myself um suffered a, a cesarean birth where I, I i moved in the womb before before i was due to like, come out and mm. i'm getting strangled by the uh, uh by yes the unit, uh, by the uh, umbilical cord and then i was start of oxygen for what they believe for several minutes. Mm. Um, so it's obviously caused trauma to the brain. But then yeah. I've heard other people saying that they, they had a normal uh, birth and it was perfectly fine, but they, they had a delayed um, uh, childhood where they, they had trauma in their development. Um, oh! Yeah. Like one person, I won't name names, but they, they told me that they had uh, a really bad childhood and and basically they didn't get the education they, they should have had and it sort of caused them to be developing later than they should have done and it, that's what they believe caused the dyspraxia and disabilities interesting so it's it's only yeah no it's again it's fascinating that there's you know research and conversations being done about it so that you know i don't think there'll be a definitive answer i i truly believe it's just one of those things where it's a thousand and one different factors come together and boom, you have, you have this. So, and yeah. yeah. It, it, it's weird because I, I mean, I'm only going on, on the childbirth aspect because that's, that's what I personally feel like mm. it could be with me. But I've got uh, a brother who had a perfect childbirth and he's perfectly fine. And yeah. I've, got, I've got a sister who, who again had a cesarean, but that was very problematic and very, mm. uh, as she's got autism. Oh, it's, it's, I, I'm just finding correlations in the childbirths, in my in my opinion, to be a factor. But again, I would never say it is or isn't. I just presume it could be. Yeah, that's it. Sort of is. Yeah, where we all sort of come down on it. Yeah, definitely. So, what what issues with dyspraxia did you have as a child away from sport necessarily? Then, John, sort of just sort of any like instructional sort of things of like following along. If someone shows me. 
shows me something, I, I make them sort of tell me it. Like, I, if you just go like, I'm, all right, watch me build this thing, then you'll be able to do it. Like, there's no connection visually into, like, I can't make that, like, I need to, I need to hear it. If I can hear someone say it, like, if you literally say it, I got it. Anything else, absolutely nothing's happening with that. I still can barely read a map. Like, that one, I, I worked as a canoe tripper for one summer, and, and I was like, no, you're going to have to step by step tell me the directions. Don't show me on a map. And they're like, don't you understand scale? And I go, no, I cannot fathom it. And yeah. it was, again, it's one of those things where people are then looking at you going, you're just being lazy. And it's like, no, I just don't understand it on a f fundamental level. Just say what the directions are. Yeah. And I got it. But like, turn, turn towards this direction at the big rock. I'm on it. Like, that's what I'm looking for. So. Yeah. You know, you know what the big paper map like blowing in the wind, you're going, it's down down there, you're like, no, it's not. It's just not on the map. Exactly. Yeah, it just end up nowhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. Utter nightmare. Utter, utter nightmare. So what what would you say is prevalent more so now that um that you had as a kid? Is there anything that you still really struggle with exactly or? Um, it's more I can just feel myself getting very fatigued. Like, if I'm already really, really tired, I'll just sort of see things slipping away and stuff like that. And I can feel every once in a while this, it, it really will now just manifest into anxiety where it'll just sort of stack up. I don't know if you have it, it sort of feels like dirty dishes in the sink of my brain. And then there'll be one more thing I need to do and it will just come all kind of crashing down. It's, it's a hard thing to sort of describe, but it'll be like long day, bunch of stuff to do, tidy up. And it's just like, I find the action of grabbing and putting the, like a cup in the sink, like that'll be the last thing. And I will just spiral out for 10 minutes. And I feel like, again, I don't know if that's all connected. It feels like it is because it just sort of will manifest in sort of that sort of exhaustion and sort of stuff like that. So I've just learned like, again, you know, self-care stuff. Take 10 minutes and just relax. You don't need to clean up the cup that minute. Go do something else. Stuff like that is very essential. Um, and yeah, and even weird things like, I don't know, I started staring at a screen a lot in this lockdown in it. And this is not even, I think, connected to dyspraxia at all, but I bought blue light glasses that just stop the harshness of the screen. Yeah. And I just... This, yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with dyspraxia, but it's just a nice plug of, it just made my face feel nicer because I wasn't burned out in the retinas from staring at a screen all day. So, sidebar dyspraxia, pick up some blue light glasses. They're nice. Oh, nice tip. I think there is a, a, a correlation with um, sensory, with light and dyspraxia, um, but there, there's not really a big thing about the two. It's just, it's, it's advised you get glasses to help with... Um, yeah, yeah. I... I also think there's a funny thing when you that especially in any sort of research with anything that they start there starts to be that sort of whole uh people start hearing zebras if you ever heard of that term which is you know you hear a horse you see a horse it's a horse it's not a zebra and sometimes yeah. when a lot of research there they suddenly go well it must be a zebra not a horse it's like no no it's it's just that's just something everyone has and it does, it has nothing to do with dyspraxia everyone's sensitive to screens at a certain point yeah. whether or not we are more so 
that is that remains to be seen. Definitely, and it's it's interesting you mentioned about the fatigue as well. That that seems to be the general uh, consensus with dyspraxics. That me personally, my brain can get quite heavy. Yeah, and a heavy head, and you just want to lay down and um, halfway through a day, you just feel like you've had enough. Mm. Yeah, I just it's also one of those things where it's just I'm very task oriented in terms of like I just. I need to get what I need to get done so then I can kind of switch off. It's one of the, I'm not one of those, again, I don't know if this is connected, but I'm not one of those people where I can kind of return to a thing. I'm like, let's just get it done. So I'm not fixated on it. I think that's more anxiety than anything else, but I'm not fixated on it for the next two days. It's just like, it's out of my head. It's moved on. If I have to revisit it, that's the next phase, that sort of stuff. I, yeah, I find it incredibly soothing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You don't want to have it hanging around either, do you? Because it that, that, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what what sparked your interest in comedy and your career path then? Um, um yeah, just being around, seeing comedy on television. I really enjoyed it. I made people laugh in school. It kind of just went from there. And you know, very typical sort of story. It's again, I'm not one of those people that's like I'm a troubadour man, just out there sharing my words no it was just a it was a fun thing i wanted to do and i'm very grateful that i have it as a career i mean right now is a bit tough as my i am unfortunately retired against my will due to covid yeah. but uh hopefully it all comes back i wish you all the best with that because it thank you it's, it's a, an industry we need really entertainment um, absolutely and if you by the way are listening in britain uh, the Conservative government is giving no arts funding to comedy, even though it is by numbers the most popular and largest tax-paying uh, entity in the arts. I've made that up. I don't know if that's true. It's probably not. The West End probably pays more tax. Uh, but it, it gives a lot of money. It's very well supported. If you If that money does not reach the comedy venues in the UK, up to and including 80% of them will close by the end of the year, please support... Uh, live comedy there's a petition you can sign at i think it's savelivecomedy.co.uk and go get your voices jojo no you would like some of that money to go comedy's way and sorry for interrupting i just uh, oh, that's brilliant yeah, yeah i agree with that because i'm i'm a big comedy fan myself so that that would be mm. definitely i would definitely uh, put that i'll put a, a link to that petition uh, Please. in my in my um podcast for you heck yes no trouble. Um, so you made the uh, brave move as, as a dyspraxic to go and move from Canada to England, I believe. So Yes, sir. What? So then you went on, um, from England to Los Angeles. What, yes. What, what did you find about the changes to your lifestyle and their environments that stood out the most? Um, Britain... There's a lot of different changes in lifestyle. Britain is a very, it's culturally a lot more similar to North America and so different. Um, sort of finding one thing in particular, it, it was so much, it was also how much watching Britain change in that time. No one really acknowledges, but Britain from 2012 until Britain till beginning of 2018 was a vastly different country. Like we had Brexit, which was a, an absolute watershed moment that was a fascinating and a bit personally horrifying thing to watch for no other reason than I just saw how divided a place 
suddenly became. It didn't seem that divided beforehand. There was the, the idea of coping with the class system. That's something as a Canadian, I was totally unaware of being a, like, a div, like a divisive, noticeable thing. And then you get to Britain and you're like, wow, there are lines of demarcation and this is entrenched like I've seen nothing else in my life. Like th th those were sort of things were like stark and startling. And yeah, watching Brexit kind of come was bananas. Spending time in the Northeast was an absolute eye opener. I, I did a lot of gigs for an organization called Punch, Punch Drunk Comedy in Blythe and those sort of areas. And it was amazing. There's some of the best comedy crowds in the world, but also just seeing the the level of, it's not even poverty, just what has happened to those communities in Britain by just being abandoned, particularly by the Tory government, but London in general is absolutely startling. That was a fascinating thing about Britain of you just see this glittery sort of jewel that is London and you go three hours on a train and you're just like, what happened here? And they're like, it's uh, Margaret Thatcher. And then they didn't fix it. And you're like, okay, because this is terrifying. That sort of stuff. It, it's, it's like that in my hometown where I was born in Chatham in Kent. Um, mm. she clo Thatcher closed down all the, all the uh, shipyards and thousands and thousands of jobs were destroyed, were gone. And yeah. the town has never recovered. Um, it's, it's not the most pleasant of places. And then you go on a train to London, 45 minutes away, and it's a different world. That's the thing. And that's the, the real mind screw about Britain is that there is a noticeable and somewhat, it seems, even if it is an intentional have and have not culture within every facet of whether it's, you know, Kent isn't as good as London. Um, your, your borough in London isn't as good as this other borough in London. England versus Wales, England versus Scotland, Northern Ireland versus everybody. Yeah. Um, like it's just there's so much tension and division and that was uh, utterly startling especially then going to America where you think it would be tense and divided and you're in California and everyone's going nah screw Trump we need to do something about it we'll see how it all goes so it's, it's been interesting transitions I, I recommend to anyone travel see the world as best you can because it makes it makes understanding the world a lot easier because you just you realize all human beings are the same. Every country is essentially going through the same thing in one way or another at the same time as if human beings just sort of, this is how we react given the circumstances we're in. And it just, it makes everything just a lot easier to take. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a very vast world, isn't it? When you think about it. Oh yeah. It, it, it staggers me as well, though, how, like you say, how divided the world is when really we're all all of the same cloth. If you think about it, absolutely. No, it's everywhere is everywhere is the same. The only difference is some places will have ketchup on the table and other places will not. Like there is, I've been around the world. There's nowhere that is that dissimilar to another place, and it's it is hilarious to me when people are like, "Oh no, we're not anything like." How similar Britain and America are is startling, and neither place will acknowledge it. Britain, in particular, will not. Like, no, 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 we're nothing like Americans. And it's like you are. Like they will scream to high heavens, "Oh, we're we're much smarter," all that sort of stuff. And it's like that's not true. 
you guys have Oxford and Cambridge, so that's raising your average, but there's a lot of yeah people in America. You guys are just lucky enough you don't have guns. That's the only reason why there's not the level of violence is you got that gun ban, and thank God they did, or my God, rush hour at King's Cross would be a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And I like, I like how a lot of um, British sarcasm and humour is now creeping into America. And oh, yeah. Of, and a lot of their literature in America and, and uh, Americanisms are now translating over here. I will say this. The thing I need to be embraced in Britain is the amount of ice given in drinks in America is absolutely brilliant. It remains cold, as opposed to in Britain, it's three cubes of minuscule ice. No, I want to be ensconced in cold beverage. That needs to happen. And seasoning of food needs to happen more in Britain. Those are my two main things. We're, and we're slowly getting there. We'll slowly get there. I do admit that the food here is really bland. But I'm sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> Listen, you guys have also made it socially acceptable to buy a sandwich in a shop that is just bread, butter, and bacon. And I'll never not love that. Uh, I'm glad we've contributed to the world then. Certainly have. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, talking about Britain, so you, uh, you've appeared at every major comedy festival in the world, by all accounts. Yes. Uh, including the Ed Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So how, Absolutely. how did you find the somewhat feisty Scottish public to be? I found them great, man. Like, they're just, you know, it's, Scotland is just old Canada, so it's a very similar vibe. Um, you know, it's the, it's a very easy place to know if you're funny because they're going to tell you quick, um, either with silence or with words. So yeah, no, I, I have a, a giant love for Scotland. There's a part of me that wants to buy property north of Edinburgh and just build a compound. Yeah, yeah in the Highlands. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, no, tell no one, just go for it. I don't know if it's going to happen because I... I don't think they'll give me citizenship at this point, but you never know. If you're out there, Scotland, I would like citizenship. Again, I'd be happy to start a petition for you for that as well. Mm. Yeah, I don't want English citizenship though. I want to go through Scotland because I know that vote's coming and I know which side. I used to, I was all on Scotland staying in the UK in 2014. Now, sayonara, England. Enjoy this. Up yours, up yours, England. <laughs> yeah. Oi, oi, jog on, build that wall. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Get that wall done, eh? Um, mm -hmm. So you've uh, you've won many accolades during your career, but which award still eludes you that you want to win more than anything else? I mean, I like at this point, I'm 35. I I don't care. Like I I would like to win the stable income for life award which i don't think exists in show business so i'm i'm just like i just just come see me do stand up at this point i listen i was the hungriest most ambitious early 20 year old comedian you could find and yeah. hell yeah for that because it pushed me but at this point you can't be that guy forever or you just become insufferable so i've kind of slowly scaled back my desires in a positive way, I'm not. I haven't given up, but yeah, that's oh, good to hear. It's good to hear. So it, it transpired that uh, you was once heckled by the legendary NBA basketball player and friend of Supreme Leader of North Korea, uh, Kim Jong Un. Um, so 
when you was um, heckled by uh, Dennis Rodman, how did yes, you sir. how did you find that as a dyspraxic comedian? I mean, it was pretty terrifying. He put his hand on the back of my neck. And, you know, even if I had reflexes like a goddamn steel trap, I wasn't getting away from arguably the second or third greatest ba uh, basketball player of the 90s, which puts him probably in the top five of all time. Come at me if you disagree with that. He's a rebound king. I, like, I don't know sports except for that era of basketball, so I have passion about it. And, yeah, so it's very interesting related to dyspraxia in that I don't think it played a factor into it in that if it had gone the, it didn't go the way that I was concerned about it going, which was him beating the shit out of me for making fun of him. It, he, he went along with it, thank God. Because if he hadn't, I'd be dead right now. Because as much as that guy has been partying, he also, if he didn't want to party uh, and wanted to fight, I'm dead. Like he is a full, I'm six foot four, he is, he towered over me and was strong, and he took me by the back of the neck. And if you watch the video, which is available on YouTube, just yeah. John Hastings, Dennis Rodman, he starts talking. It's the part where he's going, can I say one thing? Can I say one thing? He has his hand on the back of my neck in sort of a comforting way. And at one point, he goes, you're shaking. And that's because I was fucking terrified he was going to attack me. He didn't, and we were all fine. But yeah, that's, that's the only thing I've played in my head. And I just say the same sentence over and over again, John. All right, I will. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, in any other profession for dyspraxic, when, when you get, like, heckled or startled or shouted at or any, any form of abuse, um, you kind of, I always find that I, I always, um, like, lose my train of thought, freeze, um, how away. I wouldn't know, I, wouldn't, I, know, I know you're a comedian, but I, I would still not be able to find the the ability to move that conversation along and carry on doing what he's doing and it's, it's a joke out of it as well. It's almost the opposite in that there's an element of hyper-awareness when I'm doing that where it's, if anything is happening, I can't let it go. I need to address it before I can get back to the part of my brain that has the pre-prepared material, for lack of a better term. Like, I need to address to get to like it's yeah it's uh, i totally see what you're saying of you lose your train of thought and i kind of do too which is where it comes from i need to address it like i it, i won't be able to get back to what my intention was until i've sorted this out yeah yeah so how do you prepare for your sets then do you have it all in do you remember it remember, remember it or do you have it written down or do you read from i got it written down in various places i try and write it write it out it's sort of bullet points before I go up. I'll try and hide it maybe on my hand if I'm a little nervous, or I will just take up a, a hide a piece of paper somewhere on the stage or on my person. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, I usually try and, the problem I'm now facing is I haven't performed in a wee, or, uh, a wee while because of COVID. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I'm performing tonight in Montreal where I am. And it's also like, what what jokes work now after a lockdown? What the hell? So you got to do some, got to do some thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, what, what jokes work and what jokes don't now? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, definitely. So um, it, you previously bumped into Boris Johnson by all accounts at Paddington Station in London. Uh, oh yeah, where did you find that I, I put that out? Did I put that on social media? Where did that? I have my means and, and, and know-hows. I, I like scouring the internet for little facts. 
Is that because did I put that on the internet? I couldn't remember if I put that on the internet or not. It's so it was somewhere very obscure. I can't tell you where because I can't remember. But I literally found it, and I I thought, is he joking? Because it's like it's a hundred percent. It was the weirdest thing ever. I was going to Oxford, and I was parking my bike at Paddington Station, and I clearly disheveled hung over Boris Johnson said here take my spot and this was in the early stages of Brexit I believe yeah and the weirdest thing was is I took the spot and I didn't like him even then I just wanted to be a bit of a boob as opposed to the catastrophe he's become and as I'm parking my bike and I went and I went are you Boris Johnson and I think he misread it as like what the f he misread me going like what the hell are you doing here as a like Oh, you're Boris Johnson. And so he stuck out his hand, and I don't know why, but I just shook his hand in the weird, like I, and I look back and I'm going, what the hell was that? That's the weirdest thing in the world that I, like, I'm like, what? Like, and it was, it's all, it was all like three seconds. It all happened within three seconds. And it was like, only once he was walking away, I was like, why did I do that? I don't like that guy. <laughs> so, did he, did he help you look up the bike as well, but from what I read? He helped you lock it. So, it, uh, it cut out for a second. What did you say? So, apparently, he helped you chain up the bike, lock it up. Yeah, no, he was very... He, he, wasn't, he wasn't helping me physically chain up the bike. It's that at Paddington Station, there's, like, this long rack. Right. Of, and it's always full, full, full to the brim. So, it's next to impossible to park your bike there. So, it was... He just had a spot available, and he just... He motioned me over because he was leaving with his bike, and he said, you can park it here. And it was just, yeah, utterly bizarre, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, Boris Johnson, get a car service, mate. So was you riding a Boris bike, or was it your own bike? That's what I, I was riding my I was riding my own bike, but that's a very good observation. <laughs> Man, I, I missed the early launch of the Boris bikes where you could put any card in the slip, and you just get a bike. You could yeah. put it, no one remembers it. You could put an Oyster card in, bike for days, baby. Definitely, definitely. And, and, what did you make of, apparently, there's a, a rumor going around that Boris Johnson has dyspraxia. Is that true? That apparently is not 100% true or confirmed yet, but there, there is a strong feeling that he has dyspraxia. I mean, I just wouldn't like to be associated in any way, but again, it might explain why it looks like he combed his hair with cherry bombs. So, but it's one of those things where... I, I don't know how to feel about it until we know. For, when it's totally confirmed, I'll come back on and we can discuss it then. Definitely. We'll have to, we'll have to do an episode on Boris. Being yeah, abso absolutely. Being our, being our leader and all that. <laughs> Bear with me. So uh, I read online that you're somewhat of a gifted swimmer. Is that true? Or is that a tongue-in-cheek joke? I mean, I love to swim, and I did a lot of swimming and was a lifeguard. I wouldn't say that my form is good, okay. um, and I need some space because I can do so. I do a fair amount of splashing around, but yeah, things like swimming, skating, piano lessons were all part of stuff that I wasn't even made aware of it as a kid, but were done in sort of a therapeutic way of train your brain in a different way to do movement and take instructions in terms of. That has to be connected to your mind because it's all movement. Um, that was done by my mom to make sure that everything was a okay once I hit adulthood. Sure, sure. So, did you find that those things you did as a kid, like swimming and that, helped your dyspraxia? Um, 
I, look, I didn't realize at the time. I look back now and go, yeah, no, it all of that helped build confidence, build coping mechanisms within my brain, build new pathways in the idea of allowing me to sort of see and, and figure it out, especially when it comes to swimming because it's full body and stuff like that. Like I remember for most of my life, this move, like the rubbing your tummy and patting the top of your head, yeah. just that was a impossibility. There was a, a real turning point in my late 20s into my early 30s where a lot of stuff seemed like it bed in and yeah. became easier. I don't know if that's something other people have experienced, but it was a big turning point. Like I legitimately, like it was when I could finally tie my shoes, for example. Yeah, definitely. That's somewhat of, a, of, a, uh, of an agreed feeling, really, about how it, as you get older, they sort of, the things get easier, but the struggles are still there. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm aware of certain sort of things I'm gonna imbut upon, but other things it's sort of, it's a-okay, it's all good. Definitely, definitely. And uh, do, would you find that your, when did you get diagnosed with dyspraxia? Just by the chance. I mean, I was always as a child from the age of seven, it was just told to me as eye hand coordination, no eye hand coordination affects reflexes, no eye hand coordination. And it wasn't only until 2014 when I was writing comedy about it, yeah. when I even heard the word dyspraxia i was mispronouncing it at first because i read it as opposed to being told it and it was like reading a description of what i'd gone through in life so it was one of those things where awareness for it is very important and that i went till 29 being totally unaware what the hell it was yeah let alone that there was support definitely definitely and uh what inspired you to apply for personal talent what did you think of your chances when applying? And did you ever dream of the response and outpour of love for your talent and craftsmanship? I, I didn't ever envision myself being on America's Got Talent. It was something that was offered to me as an idea of getting on American television. Yeah. I, for a moment, thought, well, I'm an artiste. And then I went, yeah, an, art, an artiste needs money. Let's do it. So I, I said yes, and away we went. Ask. And did you ever dream of performing in front of an empty audience, in front of Simon Cow and the other judges? I never, I never dreamed that that would be a scenario, but it's, as it turned out, has really sort of helped because it's given people a reason to talk to me in the media. So that's, it's, even the Canadian media for this whole situation has really come out strong. So for no other reason, I've been doing a lot of interviews with Canadian morning shows uh, just because they're like, well, that's something to talk about. So, yeah. Are you a nocturnal sleeper or are you one of those patients that can sleep um, perfectly fine? Oh, it's an absolute disaster. And that, that, is, that I did to myself. I worked nights for almost a year where I was going to work at about one in the morning yeah. and going to sleep at about 11 in the morning. And that screwed up my circadian rhythms forever. So that was on me. I did that. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, I can, unfortunately can blame only moi for that situation. I, I've done nights as well, but I was always a bad sleeper before that, and uh, it's it's a nightmare trying to sleep for me. I'm, I, yeah, I can't get to sleep. And um, so, how do you find that dyspraxia might affect you and your set as you progress through AGT? Um, are you are you prepared for the live element of the show should the opportunity arise? 
Yeah, I'm all ready. Let's do it. You know what I mean? There's nothing I can kind of do at this point. I'm, you know, I'm already, I'm already, on, I'm already on the 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 path. I I don't can't think of a metaphor. I'm all yeah. I'm I'm ready for the live element. I don't know how this practice is going to affect it. Doesn't stand up for a, a fair amount of time. You know, certain things. I'm very unaware of where the microphone is. That's a big problem. That a lot of times they have to la put a microphone on my body. Yeah. Because I will just do this. Yeah, with it, and I, again, I think that might just be lack of awareness more than anything else. But yeah, no, it's just I'm not aware of mobility. I find that a lot of dyspraxics are quite fidgety as well. Do you, do you struggle holding a microphone on stage and holding things in your hands and stuff? It's all about the I got shaky legs and all that sort of stuff. No, absolutely, and that's a big one yeah. that drives people crazy. Is my leg will shake, and they'll be like, "Can you stop?" And I and I will say, "I didn't know I was doing it, so no." And then people don't believe me. And I'm like, well, what do you want? Like, what do you want from me, bro? Yeah, this, There's yeah. nothing to be done. So deal with it. The, um, there's a former um, American Scott Talent judge, Mel B, of the Spice Girls fame. Um, she's rumored to have dyspraxia as well. Um, this is, I've heard this as well. It's a real shame. Like, I, I could have got, listen, it would have been an excuse to hang out with Mel B, which is, you know, we're all looking for that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, is was it uh, is it all inspiring to see another high-profile talent um, such as yourself declare your disability and how it affects you? Uh, what was your reasoning behind that when you was in front of the camera? I mean, there was no sort of reasoning behind it. It's not anything I want to hide, or it's not anything I was trying to hide. Nor was it anything I'm trying to benefit from. No, no, it's more. It's more just, and I wasn't accusing you of saying that. I was just sort of putting that. Out. It's more just. It's a part of who I am, so I'm not going to lie about who I am. I think that that would be more of a disservice than anything else to just go. Oh, everything's fine. Don't make me play darts. That sort of thing. I, I, I don't think. I don't think there's any sh in any shame, any any way, any shame in acknowledging that you have something like that and just moving forward and learning how to cope with it. I think that. And anyone that would shame someone for that can fuck off. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I found, like, in my, my, my defence, when I, when I declared my dyspraxia, that, to strangers at least, that I find myself playing um, the class clown or playing up to their stereo, stereotypes of, of what a disability is. Um, mm. So I find myself not being able to justify my disability or make sense of it people so therefore I will like you say drop things on purpose just to you know ram home the fact that I'm different ah yes yeah no I'm sure I did some of that in my youth I don't remember it but I'm sure that there was some of that like look how different I can be man but yes no I totally see where you're coming from so according to your uh, Instagram you got married in 2019 I believe um I certainly did. How have you found uh, married life and how, how's it going during lockdown? And, uh, it's, go it's going well. She's currently asleep because her job doesn't start yet. So yeah, no, it's going very well. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Did you, um, have, have you found anything different since lockdown or was it, is it the same as before? Not really. Yeah, sort of same as before. It's sort of, you know, easy peasy. You fight sometimes because, you know, if you're in a relationship. Lots of serious talks, all that sort of fun stuff. But yeah, nothing, nothing earth shattering thus far. 
I, I, I've been um, spending lockdown with my partner of eight years, and it, like like you just said, nothing earth shattering's changed. Um, yeah, we probably get on each other's tits just as much as before. Um, yeah. So it, it's you know if, if if you've come through lockdown and you don't like each other, then that, that's not a bad thing at the end of the day because you know that. It was never going to work in your in your old age, I suppose. So it's good. Of course, good to get out while the the the, uh, the water was hot. Mm-hmm. So uh, apparently, in twenty fifteen, you wrote a short film that you co that you co wrote with somebody and took part in called "Who Is Hannah." Uh, yes, it won the People's Choice Award. How did the film idea come about, and do you have plans for further films and acting? Uh, yeah, I like that. I like acting. It's you know, it's not. It's in, 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 I do. A lot, I've done a fair amount of commercials, so it, in some ways, it's just my day job. Sure. I, uh, I yeah, no, I wrote that with my friend Claire Stollery. Uh, it was very much based on her life. Um, it's available uh, to watch on CBC, which is sort of the Canadian equivalent of the BBC. It's our public broadcaster. Um, yeah, I'd love to do that again. It's one of those ones where we both sort of fo- refocused on other things, but yeah, I will circle back to doing that sort of stuff again one of these days. What was your inspiration behind it? Was there a certain thing in mind or just made up? I just wanted to write something and make it. Claire just wanted to write something and make it. So we based it off of something. I, mean, I can't, I don't want, I'm not going to tell you what we based off of because it's going to give it away, but we based it off of something in her life. Right and then just went from there. So it's, it's very much her, a portion of her story from her actual life that was then embellished by moi. Yes, I love it. So in the uh, United Kingdom, uh, I have sourced help and entitlements for people with hidden disabilities, um, of course, such as dyspraxia. What, mm. help, what help is there in America and Canada for people with neurological disabilities and furthermore, what help, if, if any, would you have wanted had it not been available to you growing up? I was, I was given great help growing up and a lot of educational tools. A lot of that came from having a supportive parent that didn't look at it like a hindrance and just looked at it like it's something to overcome and continue with. So it's one of those things where I, I can't speak to what assistance exists now, but if you are a parent with a child who has something like this, just get them help, give them encouragement, and make sure that they are not meant, made to feel like an other in the way that, again, I haven't been in the education system in a long time for obvious reasons. I'm no longer in school. It would be weird if I was still there, but there was, there was a tendency when I was there for some teachers who were real cockheads to treat it like you were faking it, and if you have something like this, as a parent, I would just declare war on those teachers and go, no, this is a legitimate thing you have to take seriously as your job as an educator. And then it also just helps with the actual teachers out there that do take it seriously and help out because it just means that you feel safer and you feel able to learn and grow and figure it out on an easier method. So I would say the biggest sort of help I think anyone can give is just sort of, you know, support the person, don't make them feel like they're an other and totally different and without help, just that a couple of things need to be adjusted and away you can go. Oh, certainly. That, that, that's a positive way to look at it. Uh, it would have been nice, I suppose, if more teachers were aware of the condition, uh, gave a bit more support, 
Uh, yeah, it would be nice if they had given me a name of it, you know, when I was a kid, but what are you going to do, you know? Yeah, you know, it's bad enough choosing a name for yourself, uh, mm -hmm. choosing a name for yourself, let alone trying to pick a name for a disability. Hell yeah! What, um, so after America's Got Talent, what are your plans for the future? I have no idea at this point. Who knows what the future holds with COVID, baby? Yeah, definitely. I just hope that the, the entertainment business gets back to on its feet and your projection after America's Got Talent leads you to uh, further greater things. Me too, man. Me too. Brilliant. And where can everyone find you on social media, John? You can find the AGT clip by going to YouTube and searching John Hastings AGT, or you can just go to any of my social media, which is at the John Hastings on all social media and is my website at the John Hastings. Marvellous. That, that, that's great. I'd, uh, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on the inaugural podcast episode. Your no worries, brother. Your courage to speak so openly uh, to such a vast audience on America's Got Talent about your dyspraxia will have certainly encouraged many others to reach out for help. You have shown that it's possible to be in the mainstream just without having a disability. And we all wish you the absolute best of luck as you progress through America's, America's Got Talent. Oh, thank you so much, man. It is uh, muchly appreciated. and I'm glad I was able to do this. Hope you have a great rest of your day. I'm going to go drink more coffee. <laughs>